subject, if you could see what Jesus sees. Taken from Ephesians 1, verse 17 and 18. If you'd stand for the reading of the Word. I know it's late. And uh, as you're turning, I want to continue to make comments. Good to see Elise here. And Elise is uh, a member of the Christian Life Center in Nina. And then good to see John and Lori and the boys here. John and Lori are living in Clintonville. Bryce came up to me this morning. I don't know what he meant, but he said, We just got us a Clintonville. <laughs> That's the way he put it. Little Bryce, we just got us a Clintonville. <clears throat> I don't know if he meant we got out of Clintonville or just what he was saying, but good to see John and Laura and the family. We had a great time with them today. Good to see everybody. Praise God. If you could see what Jesus sees. Ephesians 1, 17 and 18, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of Him. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of His calling and what the riches of glory of His inheritance in the saints. And that's as far as I want to read. just want to take... Verse 18, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened. And then verse 17, the spirit of wisdom and revelation and the knowledge of him. You could see what Jesus sees. You may be seated. We know that Jesus is all-knowing. The word omniscient is used. The omniscience of God, if you notice the latter part of that, has the word science in it. It's making reference to understanding, discovery, knowledge. He's all-knowing. All-knowing. Because He is all-knowing, He sees everything, or they go hand in hand. He must see everything in order to know everything. It has been stated that the eyes of a man determines his character, or that the eyes are a symbol of the character of man. I've done counseling with people that wouldn't look me in the eye, just look down all the time. Now, some people don't like to look you in the eye because they are embarrassed. Some people don't like to look you in the eye because they just have an inferiority complex. I, I usually, if I'm counseling with someone that will not look me in the eye, I stop them quite often and I said, would you please look up at me and look me right in the eye? Just look at me right in the eye. Focus in on my eyes when I talk with you. It seems that you gain deep understanding when you focus eye to eye with an individual. Jesus said, if thine eye be single, then the whole body is full of light. 
And the word single means oneness. In other words, it's focused in on one thing at a time. Some people having some physical disorders, and please understand, I am not in any way making fun. But have you ever seen a person walk up to you and look, they're looking toward you as far as their 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 face is concerned, but their eyes are like, you know, just like they look on past you. They don't possess the ability. Now, that does not mean that they have a character flaw. That's a physical disability that they would have, just like a man would have maybe a problem with his back or I would have a problem with arthritis in my ankle, which I have. But it is a delight to be able to just look at a person right in the eye. I've always been interested in the eyes of great men, preachers. Just down to headquarters, and I saw all the general superintendents we've had, all the way back to W.T. Witherspoon. I caught myself walking and looking right in their eye. Brother Urshan has these real sharp, stern, piercing eyes. We had the presidents in the in the classroom, all the presidents, and I caught myself walking and looking in the eyes of all these men, just looking at their eyes. It seemed like you pick up a lot of understanding. And some of the men, you look in their eyes, and it's like you don't see much because you don't feel that, even though it is a portrait, that, that they are necessarily looking at you. I've seen many pictures of Abraham Lincoln, and he was noted for his eyes. A lot of people trying to unlock the secret of Lincoln's great wisdom. I don't know how you feel about this man, but as far as I'm concerned, outside the church of the living God, the world has had no greater man than Abraham Lincoln. I personally feel that way. But when you look in his eyes, you see something that you don't see in a lot of other people's eyes. And a lot of people trying to discover the source of this man's great insight and wisdom. They said it's his ability to just focus in on life. They said, look at his eyes. It's like he... He's acutely aware of everything that happens, everything that goes on. What about the eyes of Jesus? Well, I've never seen him. Neither have you. What color were his eyes? What, uh, what about this man? It's amazing to me, you know, that how that, the eye is so controlled, you know, by the brain. A good friend of mine had an eye transplant. And, in fact, it was Brother David Fuller's dad, Brother V.O. Fuller. His eyes were deep, dark brown, almost black. And when they pulled the, the pad off, 
and he could see, he discovered that they had put a blue eye in him. He was quite alarmed. <laughs> he was shocked. The nurse said, oh, don't worry about that. It'll be all right. The doctor came and the doctor sat and explained, said, well, the pigmentation of the eye is controlled by the brain. And your blue eye will turn brown in a matter of days. Now, to his amazement, that's exactly what happened. Now, I can't explain that. I don't understand that. But it seems as if the eye is the window of the soul. Tell so much about it. What about the eyes of Jesus? Well, the Bible doesn't say much about his physical eyes. I, I don't know, but it does appear that every person with great understanding has a pretty good focused eye in life. They see things. I remember Sister Carol Jackson coming up to me years ago, and she said, Brother Grant, I just, I just realized this morning in service what is so effective about your teaching. I said, what? She said, you know, there have been times that you were teaching and I thought you were looking right at me. And when we got home, Steve says, no, he was looking at me and I was on the other side of the building. And I asked several people and they all felt that you were looking right at them. She said, when you talk to me, even though I really can't see your eyes, your eyes are deep set. I don't have big, wide open eyes like some of you. It's like that you can look right into my soul. I feel that you know everything about me. I said, Well, don't worry about me because <clears throat> it really isn't that way. I can be in a restaurant, so help me. And have a waitress waiting on me. And I can't remember who was at my table. I should pay more attention, I guess. Well, my wife said, but you talked to her and you laughed. I, I may have, but I... But, you know, it seems like nothing really escaped Jesus. He saw things that others did not see. When it comes to natural, his natural beauty as far as physical features are concerned, Isaiah 53, he says... There was no beauty that we should desire to look upon him. I don't know what kind of a man he was. I don't know anything about his physical stature or anything. It seems that God purposely left a lot of the things out of the Scripture so that we never would get our eyes, our physical eyes, focused upon the physical aspects of an individual. So when I'm talking about eyes, I'm not just talking about about the physical eyes of a man, even though there seems to be a connection. You remember when Jesus prophesied that Peter would deny him thrice before the cock was to crow twice? You remember that? Uh, you remember how... It, it, now Luke is the only one that says this. But the Bible says in the book of Luke, that uh, 50, verse 54 through 61, the Bible says that when Peter denied him, that Jesus looked at him. 
In other words, they made eye contact. And when they made eye contact, the Bible says that Peter turned quickly away and went and wept bitterly. It was like when they made eye contact. How would you like to make physical eye contact with Jesus? How would you like to do that? Now, one of these days you will, because the book of Revelation tells us, the first chapter, verse 8, that every eye shall behold him. There will be a day in which you'll make physical eye contact with the God of glory. You will do that. In the book of Revelation, when Jesus Christ is described by John, the Bible tells us in Revelation 1.14, His eyes were as a flame of a fire. I don't know if you've ever looked at fire. We have this theme, fresh fire. I don't know what old fire or dead fire or anything like this is, but most of it is pretty fresh, you know, because it's burning. It's got to be fresh to stay alive, and I think that's what they were making reference to, fresh fire. In other words, let's get something started in your life right now. Let it burn afresh. Let it burn afresh. And I could see his eyes. You, you look in the fire and it's dancing back and forth. It's not still. But can you see Jesus focused in on your eyes? Now, when Jesus walked through life, and this is the important thing, the thing that I want to stress, he saw a lot of things that other people did not see. He just saw things. It was God looking through his eyes. Jesus was man, and yet he was God. People failing to understand the Godhead usually see Jesus as either a man or they see him as God. But he had dual nature. His eyes grew tired and weary. I'm sure there were times in which if you looked in the eyes of Jesus, they were almost cloudy. He was so tired. You ever seen a person get real tired? It seems like they just lose focus. That happened to Jesus. God, however, has the ability to see everything without looking through physical eyes. You read in Revelation 3 about Laodicea. Laodicea saw herself. Laodicea was the seventh church that was mentioned of the churches in Asia in Revelation 3. Symbolic of the last church age. The last church age is us. Calvary Gospel Church. Not only is it Calvary Gospel Church, it's all the other churches. Calvary Gospel Church, how do you see yourself? Do you see yourself like Jesus sees you? The Laodiceans saw themselves as being rich and increased in goods. And having need of nothing. In other words, we have everything we need. 
And maybe some of you here feel that I have everything I need at Calvary Gospel Church. We've got a good youth program. We've got a lot of lock-ins and skating and skiing events. Somebody asked me the world's most stupid question. Are you going skiing? If I had skis tied all over me where I looked like a porcupine going down a hill, I'd still wreck. No, I'm not going skiing. You couldn't hire me to go skiing. You couldn't cut me up in one-inch square cubes and throw me at a pair of skis. I'm not going skiing now or ever. Amen. So don't anybody ask me again. No, you don't want me to die, do you? I don't have, I don't have enough time to attend my own funeral. <clears throat> but we have all of these events. And it's easy sometimes to feel that with all these events that, that we have everything we need. And we use scriptures such as we are complete in Him. But because we are complete in Him leads me to believe that everything else is supplementary. There are added blessings. But anything that is a supplement to is absolutely no good at all when the original source is taken away. You get in your Sunday morning paper, the State Journal, I get it, and it's about this thick. Now, the reason why it's so thick is because it has all these supplements in there. Everybody has their little ad book in there and everything. The lumber companies, the furniture stores, the drug stores, the dry goods stores, they all have it, see. Now, I wouldn't be happy paying what I pay just to get all of those supplements if they just left the paper behind. I will say, there are times that I probably spend more time in the supplements than I do in the source. And it's that way, I'm sure, in church where a lot of people will spend more time in the supplements of the church than they do in the real source of the church. This afternoon in prayer, as I was trying my best to intercede, I, I felt the real strength of Calvary Gospel Church. There's a four o'clock prayer meeting going on. Let me tell you, prayer warriors, something. I, I believe I physically felt strength come to me from your prayers. I'm serious with you. You see, you can have everything else, but if you leave Jesus out, you've left the source out. You don't have it. Laodicea, look what she saw when she saw herself. But when Jesus saw her, He didn't see her rich and increased in goods. It would amaze you if you only knew what God thought about all of your earthly commodities. It would amaze us if we only knew what God thought 
and how much importance he places on our worldly goods here at Calvary Gospel Church. We give you a financial report of all of our assets. If somehow, Brother Manley, you've been working with these figures for a long time, Brother Commander, if somehow we had a way of reporting the true wealth of Calvary Gospel Church, not in the sense of how much our 16 and a half acres is worth, not how much our garage is worth, the bus that's depreciating is worth, not how much the physical building that we if we could see the true value of this church, what all this really means to Jesus, all the prayers that are going up, the days of fasting, these children that stood here tonight as I tried in a positive sense to show you where we are financially with the school. And I did not do this in any way to make anyone feel that we ought to start questioning the validity of our school. To invest in a human life. To invest in eternity. To put something inside of a soul of a person. If somehow we could look at someone like Johnny Martin who's been teaching in this Christian school for a good number of years and say, Jesus, put a price tag on this lady. Tell us what she's worth. The world could not contain the figures that would let us know the accumulative worth of Calvary Gospel Church. We'd never know. Our minds could not comprehend it all. But when people begin to look at physical assets and physical strength and physical sources, what happens? Then they begin to evaluate things. And they're like Belshazzar, the great king of Nebuchadnezzar, that was weighed in the balances and found wanting. Help that never to be the case. When I look at how Jesus looked at things, Jesus was in a crowded room one day, and let's put this in our present-day vernacular. Well, I'm not Jesus, but let's say that while I'm up speaking, let's say that we had such a crowd around here that people couldn't get in. The fire marshal would probably be concerned. He'd probably be here issuing tickets and and such, and maybe some policemen towing cars away. And all of a sudden, while I'm speaking, Brother Nelson is alerted. I'm sorry, I called you Brother Thomas. Uh, <clears throat> Brother Nelson, please accept my public apology. But let's say that all of a sudden, he and Brother Rich Brown, our ushers for tonight, they are alerted that something peculiar is going on. 
It seems like in all of this business that we're taking care of that someone failed to leave or lock the garage door and they saw a man dragging out a ladder. Then all of a sudden they saw a van pull up and out of the van comes a cot. Four men pick up this cot They take this cot over by the edge of the building. And one man goes and gets the ladder and puts it up. Now these four men, as intelligent as you would think any American would be, we're putting this in our everyday language, with our culture and our life, they think they can take a crippled man up a ladder? Well, we have all kinds of handicap facilities. We try to make the way easy. But these men say there's no easy way because the crowd is too great. They get up on top of the roof and they discover that there's metal up here. And it's put on by screws. So they, one quickly runs down and he runs out and he starts asking people. Finds a pickup truck out there with a toolbox. Inside there's a crowbar, there's several drills, wrenches. Takes them up on top. Now what would we see in a situation like that? What would we think? About something like that. Brother Rutherford really stirred my thinking this morning. When he started talking about Jesus. And what Jesus was perceived as. I can assure you my friend. That this story that I'm telling you. Using our everyday 20th century lifestyle environment vernacular was just as strange back in the days in which Jesus lived. Did they get permission from the owner? Who told these people they could tear up our building? Who gave them permission? I can see Brother Nelson out there, and he says, Brother Rich, let's go up on the ladder and talk to these guys. They go up there, and these guys are working away to open a, an opening there. What are you doing? So we got to get an opening big enough to let this cot down through this building. I can see Brother Nelson getting a little red in the face. I can see Brother Rich just standing there looking at him, just saying, mm-hmm, "Yeah." He's not an alarmist, I can tell you. <clears throat> Look, guys. Who told you? Did Pastor Grant tell you? Could it? No. Do you pay your tithes at this church? No. Do you contribute in the office? No. Hard-working people put this up. I happen to know. I was here. I know they did. I remember right up above my head, right up in here where this metal starts, I remember seeing Bill Thorpe up there one day working. Remember that, Brother Bill? 
stretching that insulation across, putting it down. We worked hard for this. Let me say once again, it was probably just as strange in the days of Jesus because when you read it in the Bible, the Bible leads us to believe that these men went to extraordinary means because there was a need and they were full of compassion. Let's say, however, the Word never got to me and I'm just preaching away and all of a sudden something falls from the ceiling, some drywall. Then some of the yellow insulation, I see. And I thought, what in the world's up there? And all of a sudden someone's foot comes down through the ceiling. What will we do? What would we see? What would be on our minds? I'd probably say, where's Brother Nelson? I think we need to try to get Greg Martin and his squad car to get out here. We have a problem. And all of a sudden I look up and I say, hey guys, we're having church. Don't interrupt our service. We don't want anything out of the ordinary to be here at Calvary Gospel Church. But they just keep on working. And they pay me no attention. And after a while, everybody's laughing. First you were in amazement, now you're laughing. And all of a sudden, I see this big hole in the roof. I see this dingy cot coming down. I see this dirty, smelly cripple. That's what they saw in the days of Jesus. I say, that's what they saw in the days of Jesus. They saw someone interrupt their service. They saw someone that was a social reject. They saw someone that was not worth even parting the crowd to bring in. That's why they couldn't get the man in to start with. Because too many uppity people had to have their front seat. They had no room for someone like this poor rejected individual. But what did Jesus see? Jesus looked beyond all of that. And the Bible says that He focused in on the four men. Now I know that He saw this crippled man, this man with palsy. I know He saw him. But Jesus also looked at the four individuals and the Bible says, and Jesus saw their faith. He looked beyond the hole in the ceiling. He looked beyond the fact that the fire marshal was out. He looked beyond the fact that the press was trying to take questions and such. He looked beyond the fact that there was a great disturbance by some man crawling up on top of the roof. He looked beyond the fact that this was private property belonging to somebody else. He saw the faith 
of these men. And he saw the need of this man that had been crippled all of his life. Oh, if somehow we as a church could see through the eyes of Jesus, if we could see what Jesus sees. Oh, hallelujah, hallelujah. When Jesus saw their faith, Mark 2, verse 5, He then looked upon this man and said, Sir, thy sins be forgiven thee. But the crowd was still not in tune. They brought railing accusation against Jesus. They said, Who can forgive sins but God alone? they still did not see what Jesus Christ saw. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus looked at them and said, Which is easier for me to say, Thy sins be forgiven, or take up thy bed and walk. And Jesus commanded the man to get out of bed. Praise God. You see, there was a crippled man and four friends that saw life like Jesus saw life. And because they saw life like Jesus saw life, they all went away rejoicing. But to the people who did not see life like Jesus... They only became critical, and they went away saddened over the fact that private property was destroyed and their church service was interrupted. That's all they saw. That's all they got out of it. Praise God. How many times have I been preaching in my ministry and had someone just stand up and start weeping and crying? I remember one time a lady started praying right while I was preaching. I felt because of the number of visitors I need to keep on preaching. I just had some people gather around this lady and prayed her through to the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Right while I was preaching. Interrupt the service? No. It added flavor to the preaching. Praise God. It put an anointing in the, in the service. Praise God. Praise God. Praise God. Oh, hallelujah. If we could just see what Jesus sees. Samuel was to anoint a king over Israel. He knew that the king was to come from the household of Jesse. So he goes and gets this prominent Israeli citizen. Brings him in. Questions him. Brings in all the men. All this long line of strong men standing there. And Samuel was to go down and anoint. He had the cruise full of oil. He was ready to anoint. He carefully prayed over each one of these strong, robust men. He got down to the last one and prayed his last prayer. But somehow the Holy Ghost did not move upon him. He turns to Jesse and says, Jesse, 
I know God sent me here to anoint your son, one of your sons. There's something missing. Do you have another son? Well, actually, I just have a child. He's a shepherd boy. He's out tending the flock. Now, you and I would have picked one of the strong, grown men. Because this was a monumental task. The man that was to follow in the footsteps of Saul, the first anointed king of Israel, had his work cut out for him. Why then would God choose a juvenile as king? And that's what he was at that time. Now, he did not assume the kingship until later on in his life. Why would he choose a man like that? Because God saw something, Brother Manley, that Samuel didn't see. And God saw something that Jesse didn't see. Do you want to see what Jesus sees? I see a lady, I see a household setting. I see Jesus Christ entering in. I see two ladies, one working in the kitchen. The other one slips off to the bedroom. She comes back with an alabaster box. Beautiful box. Represented one year's wages. What are you going to do with that? One of the disciples said. She said, I'm going to break this box. and I'm going to put it on the body of the master. You know what Judas Iscariot said? a waste don't do that i tell you what you could do with that Mary you could go sell it and take the money and give it to the poor now you may say it was way off base but one of the strongest teachings in the Bible is giving to the poor his doctrine seemed to be okay the problem was that his attitude wasn't right (laughs) And he was quick to condemn because his attitude was wrong. That's what Judas saw. It's a waste. What's it going to do? This woman wanted to break it and anoint the body of Jesus. And Jesus let her do it. Are you looking through the eyes of... Judas? Or do you see a golden opportunity to lavish praise and adoration to Jesus? You'd think a man that walked with Jesus, ate with Jesus, slept with Jesus, so to speak, lived in his own tent, so to speak, you'd think that man would be so attuned he would be able to see life through the same eyes that Jesus saw life. But he got a little bit of a twist of an attitude. And here's just a homely, comely woman with a great attitude. 
that wanted to take her savings, her entire savings. And give it to Jesus. You know, we're faced with situations like this. We took our Christmas for Christ offering, and, and truthfully, I, I want to say this, you know. We had a lot of people said that they would give all of the money that was coming into their household they were, that they were, did not expect to come in. They'd give it. They'd be a channel. One of those who said they would do it was Brother Capaccio. I heard that Brother Capaccio was going to give this, this huge check. Give one half. That's what it was. Was it one half? I don't know of anyone that could use that $5,000 that he gave any more than Dan Capaccio. He could buy a new car. He's faced with monumental bills with a house full of children. Let me say this to all of you Capaccio children. Your dad is one great giant of a man. My normal reaction was, I'll tell you the truth, I wanted to call him in and say, Brother Capaggio, please don't do that. I wanted to do that. I came within just a gnat's breath of doing it. Christmas for Christ. There are people out there, there are people out there, Brother Capaggio, that don't need that money as much as you need that money. I will assure you that there will be preachers that will spend part of this money that will have a much better lifestyle than Dan Capaccio. I'm not trying to, to paint any negative about this. Here is what I saw, though, when I took it to the Lord in prayer. Here's a man with his alabaster box that says, I want to see souls. Like Jesus sees souls. These funds will be used for the establishing of churches. There will be another beachhead established in enemy territory. Somewhere, somewhere, some way, some preacher and his wife will sell everything they have. They'll load all of their furniture in a U-Haul truck and they'll head all the way across the state someplace. They will get there and they will sacrifice. I want to see what Jesus sees. And after I prayed about it, I said, thank the Lord that this man would take part of his livelihood and throw it as praise and glory to God. I'll assure you one thing, Brother Capaccio. Jesus will repay you. Oh. <laughs> oh, God. Help us, Lord. 
to see what you see. If I could just see what Jesus sees tonight. I see a multitude of people traveling after Him. They had been with Him for three days. They're hungry. Jesus said, I cannot send them away hungry. The disciples went out. They were collecting money. We're going to go into town and see if we can buy something. Andrew obviously was not involved in what they were involved in. and He's walking among the people. He's seeking God for an answer. And all of a sudden he sees a little boy with a basket, five loaves and two fishes. And he looked at that. He sees the multitude eating from this basket. Those men trying to raise enough money to buy them all food would have looked at that and said, you might as well throw that away. That won't even get us, that won't even get us started. But Andrew obviously saw what Jesus saw. He said, son, could I have your lunch? The little boy, no doubt, says, well, I have nothing to eat if you take my lunch. He said, but you don't know who is here. If you could just see your little basket like Jesus sees your little basket. And Andrew picks it up as the little lad reluctantly gives it up. And he takes it up to Jesus and said, look what I found. And Jesus said, Enough food to feed 5,000 men plus the women and children. A little basket. Five loaves and two fishes. I don't know how big the the fishes were, but I can tell you this. I usually eat one time on Sunday, and that's noon meal, up until and after church we go out. I could eat five loaves and two fishes myself. That's how hungry I am when church is over. What did Jesus do, though? Jesus took it and began to break it and bless it. He called those disciples back and said, Hold it just a minute. Set these people down in companies of 100, and we're going to feed them all. All? Yes. They failed to see what Jesus saw. A woman is dragged to his feet covering her own eyes and face in embarrassment we caught this woman in the act of adultery 
They saw an opportunity to exercise judgment. Kill her. Is adultery right? It's wrong. It never is right. But when Jesus saw the woman, he did not see an opportunity to stone her. He saw an opportunity to forgive her. That's what he saw. When you look at a man like Saul of Tarsus, what do you see? Do you see a religious bigot? That's what he was. But Jesus looked beyond that and saw an apostle of grace. So help me with the limited knowledge I have of this man. I could not have seen it. But Jesus sees the unseen. He knows the unknown. This is the reason the Bible says it is necessary for us to have the spirit of wisdom and revelation in our relationship with Him. And it is also necessary that the eyes of our understanding be enlightened. Why? Because the church... Today, the church happens to be the eyes of Jesus. He walks in me and talks in me. He must see through my eyes. He must work through my hands. He must walk in my shoes. How do you see yourself then? Being as you are right now, is that the way you see yourself the rest of your life? If Jesus must see the world through your eyes, if the salvation of the souls of men are contingent upon you, do you think that the way you are right now is the way that you should be? Or do you see yourself with vast, untapped potential if somehow I could plug in to God and see myself like God sees me and know what I could do if somehow the Holy Spirit just moved through me. I think of Brother Felix Crowder. Brother Felix Crowder came and told me he had won several state awards three years in a row of having the top office in the state of Wisconsin. He and Sister Crowder together had a combined income of $60,000-plus per year. Had a new home not far from here. What are you going to do with the Crowder? He said, I'm going to sell this, and Ida, Mark, and Jeremy, and myself, are going out evangelizing. I said, Brother Crowder, are you prepared for this? No, but I'm, I'm getting prepared. You come over here morning after morning after morning, this man's weeping and crying and seeking God. You come service after service after service, he's inside of the room seeking God. Several people told him that, Brother Crowder, you have an effective work right where you are. I understand that. 
But there's something that God wants me to do that I'm not doing. So he put in his notice, quit his job. Ida put in her notice and quit her job. We're going to go from $60,000-plus per year down to just a few thousand dollars. How can you do it, Brother Crowder? Because I see life through a different set of eyes than what most of you see life through. I just talked to the superintendent of Pennsylvania, Brother Barker. He said, Brother Grant, put his hand on my shoulder and said, you must feel very, very proud, Brother Crowder. I said, why? He said, he came to our church. He said, he wore us out. Sir, he shouted us to death, prayed us to death. Seriously. He said, I thought, God, I can't take any more of this. But he said, when he left our church, we were changed. Totally different. Do you see the $60,000? Is your emphasis on the new home? Are your priorities in the area of the plaques that you hang on your wall because of your accomplishments? Or do you see vast, untapped resources inside of you when these children stood representing Calvary Christian Academy? I see in every one of you children something that maybe you don't see. Can you see this little girl that sits on the front that had over a hundred paces one year? Can you see this little girl that's just a grown mother that lives so long and dies? Look at the genealogy of the Old Testament. And so and so beget so and so and had so many children and they died. And so and so beget so many children. And they died. And so and so beget so and so and had so many children that died. That's all the history could record about them. They lived, they had kids, they died. I don't really know that I am fully cognizant of what God wants me to do. But I tell you what, I am in a deep quest right now to be able to see myself through God's eyes what do you want me to do God don't let me be a Judas Iscariot that gets hung up because of a bad attitude don't let me be like those disciples that feel that money has to be raised for everything before a miracle can happen don't let me be like the crowd that just looked at the hole in the roof and the torn up shingles and such. But let me see life 
through the eyes of Jesus. Some of you are going through immense trial right now. If you could just see what's at the end of the tunnel, if you stay true to Jesus. If you could just see that. If you just knew what your efforts were accomplishing while you taught in that classroom. As some of you go out under the direction of Brother and Sister Anderson on your bus routes, if somehow you just knew how Jesus Christ felt about this. If some of you who are on the singing schedule, if you just knew how important that ministry was to lost dying people when they walked inside of this assembly hall. If you just knew the real importance of the function of the ministry you're involved in and you gave it your very dead level best and you prayed intercessory prayers, God, I want to be used of you. God, I want to be used of you. What about yourself? Let's bow our heads together right now. Oh, God. Mm. Oh, God. I just want to minister to some of you right now. Brother Rich Thomas, keep us praying. Keep praying yourself. You don't know how much a blessing you have been to so many people. You've chosen, Brother Blake George, to assist you. Brother Blake, keep praying. Keep seeking God. Sister Jeanette, life has been very lonely for you at times. I remember when you first came to Calvary Gospel Church, I remember meeting and talking with you in my office the first time. You wouldn't look me right in the eye. I noticed of late when I talk with you, you have a big smile and you look right in the eye of the person you're talking to. You know why? Because unashamedly, Jesus Christ lives within Oh, hello, Moshanda Lamahataya. Ikondoro Mozatarimitikataya. I want our praise singers to go ahead and position themselves. Brother Ray Hughes, you've been going through a deep, deep, deep trial. I encourage you, keep seeking the face of God. If you could see your life, through the eyes of Jesus. Yandur Sakura Matariya Matala Masataya. Oh God, Brother Moran, life hasn't been so easy for you of late. Don't get discouraged, brother. <laughs> Oh, 
God is with you. Brother Seidel, you've been having back problems. (laughs) You keep preaching with the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Stay in tune with God. See life from God's eyes. Sister Sharon, it's been difficult for you. I've seen your tears. I've seen your smiles. Keep walking in the footsteps of Jesus. Some of you lost your parents this past year. Brother Doug Kearns, you've been mighty discouraged at times. Just look through the eyes of Jesus. Brother John Repka, you lost your dad this past year. Sister Martin, you lost your mom. Sister Sandra lost her grandmother. Several of you have lost relatives. It's hard. It's rugged. But so goes life. But let's look at ourselves through Jesus' eyes. He loves us. He cares for us. You may be the only contact your whole family has with truth. Oh, God. Let's just with our heads bowed, just seek the Lord as our praise singers sing one verse of this song. Or the chorus of it. Amazing grace shall always be my song of praise. For it was grace that bought my liberty.
you come on for prayer now. Amazing grace shall always be my song of praise for it.